Hi, I'm Steve Longo. Welcome back to another episode of Rock and Roll's Show and Tell, coming to you directly from the No Gloom Ballroom. Today, an old friend and a drummer who has played with Karen Carpenter, The Beach Boys, Meatloaf, Stevie Nicks, Elton John, Rick Wakeman, Mick Jones, Carly Simon, oh, and Billy Joel. In fact, he played on most of Billy's huge hits and was in his primary touring band for years. Yep, I'm talking about the one and only Liberty DeVito. Liberty has played on hundreds of hit songs and sold 150 million records in that time. I caught up with him at home in Brooklyn. We talked for at least two hours, but because time is limited, I've edited it down for this podcast. However, you know you can catch up on the whole video conversation on our YouTube channel. So let's check in on Liberty DeVito, drummer extraordinaire. Oh, and by the way, if you want to hear his current music, it's being performed with the Slim Kings or the Lords of 52nd Street or who knows what. Here comes Liberty DeVito. Hello, Steve. Hey, man. How are you? I'm good. And yourself? I'm real good. Thanks. I am loving the hat. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. New York all the way, man. Now, I, I'm jumping right in. First of all, I'm, I've been looking forward to talking to you. We have never really had the chance to do the good drum hang. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's been a while, man. It's been a minute. How are you? Let me start. I'll be, be courteous. <laughs> uh, well, uh, as far as uh, you want to know how I am, if there wasn't a pandemic or if it was, <laughs> that's the risk one. <laughs> well, we can go through both. But in this current moment, how are you? As we in, in this current moment, I'm actually, uh, well... But today was a, a very special day, you know, because of uh, what went on. Yes. And I'm um, happy for that. Um, I've, uh, the pandemic, as far as drumming goes, I can't wait to get out and beat the drums to death. I mean, it's been too long. Been too long. Back Have you in not played at all? Have you not played at all? Well, I, I did some session work. You know, you wear the mask and you, and you play or, or you, you sometimes you're in a drum booth. I just did a thing with um, uh, Steve Gaspar, you know, you know, yeah, Steve. He, said, he said to say hello. Yeah. And uh, um, I was in a booth at the uh, carriage house. You know, they got this special room for drums. I know the carriage house. I've been there many times. It, yeah. So it, it was really. Huh? Is it Connecticut? The carriage? Yes. Yeah. yeah yep. been there many times. And um, yeah, it was great to be in the booth. I could take the mask off and play. You know, everybody else is in the other room or whatever. When you go in and listen, you put the mask back on. Uh, in the beginning of the pandemic, I did a couple of live shows, but they were those parking lot shows before it got really cold. Yeah. You know, they were weird because people beeped their, horn, beeped their horns instead of um, uh, clapping. You know, uh, you, you remember when it went from lighters to cell phones, I guess, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. our horns and flashing our headlights. But um, uh, I, I'm due for the uh, vaccine, but it's just yeah. in New York, you know, everything's really, really slow. Yeah, yeah. So you're gonna. So that's good. I mean, that's that's all good stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, listen. I think you know we don't. I, I don't go off 
topic on here, which is joy and wonderfulness. But I can't help but hope that we're moving everything in a in a good direction, in a more positive direction, building on everything that we've done and looking forward to a bright, happy, healthy future for everybody. Yeah, me too. So, yeah. That's great. So, yeah. So, so my first question, and you know, this is... This, I started this whole thing out. I actually have a first question. Um, the Lords of 52nd Street, was that yes. um, Mike Del Judas on the clip that I played? No, that was uh, Dave Clark. Dave uh, Clark, who was in a, a tribute band called uh, Songs in the Attic. Wow. Yeah, Dave. Wow. Yeah, I only caught a glimpse of him from the side, and I, you know, wearing the black thing and the... the looks like Billy. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, and, and Mike and whoever else. Yeah, yes, it's good. It's it's uh, and what a great band. So, yeah. so that's my my serious question. But the reason that I did this whole thing, you know, be no good if I went in there and played to Led Zeppelin songs or anything. I I figured, you know, what I would do, I would take this time to either reconnect with guys that I haven't seen in twenty mm -hmm. years, right, or thirty years, or uh, am I being kind, thirty six years. Um, and then absolutely connect with guys that, you know, I haven't had the time to spend enough time with. And that was the whole basis for this whole thing. So like, I mean, you know, Hey man, we're at Nam or Hey man, we're at the garden or, you know, staying at the same hotel in uh, Memphis. It's that conversation. It's, it's, yeah. that. So yeah. like that. Um, it's, it's good to see you, man. It's good to see you. You, 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 you know, during the pandemic, it's really good to be seen. You know? yeah. I mean, you know, in, in here, I live in Brooklyn here, and, um, you know, uh, I can't go outside, you know, uh, and take a mask off and walk around because there's people everywhere. You know, I got a lot of friends that live like out, out on Long Island or upstate, and they have a house that has property, and they go outside without the mask, and it's great. We go out. As soon as I leave my apartment, I got to get on an elevator to go downstairs. I got the mask on, you know. Man, I mean, it gets more real for me seeing it or more hearing about it because I'm not traveling. I wouldn't have been traveling this year anyway because um, I had a bunch of other stuff, you know, just the stuff. Right. Um, but I'm not, I don't really feel it like everybody does because I am able to go outside and sit and I don't have to wear a mask. I never even thought, because I grew up in an apartment. So, yeah. but I've been in houses, you know how that is. But I just, all of a sudden, I just got such a clear vision of the elevator and the stairs and the hallway and the whole oh man, the mailboxes. Wow. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, you know, uh, I, sometimes I forget to wear the mask and I got to go back upstairs and you hope nobody comes on the elevator. And yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. But, you know, the, the Lords had to cancel a lot of gigs. Uh, we, a lot of them were blown off. And our manager kept writing and going, OK, we're going to we got to postpone now September, October, December. And now he's like, now we got to postpone February, <laughs> March. You know, maybe we might start playing again in April. Who knows? Um, what do you? Oh, and so who's in that band now? That band is currently playing. I thought it was the the Slim Kings. No, no, oh, the Slim Kings play too. But uh, we've been doing things like uh, virtual things uh, from the studio. We played Daryl's uh, house, right? And did a did a, a podcast from there. It's just cool, you know. Um, the Slim Kings are more of a recording band. You know, uh, it's really funny. You know, a lot of bands are starting to play again and uh, only like maybe 12 people are showing up. It's kind of a Slim Kings audience. 
<laughs> Isn't that the way it all started out? I mean, let's call it nostalgia. It's a nostalgia well, movement. That's exactly what it's like. It is uh, like starting out again. And you know what's great about uh, playing, uh, when we were playing back in the summertime with the Lords, you have no response with the with the crowd because they're in their cars listening to it on the radio, right? So the thing that you have to do is remember what it was like when you first started and nobody wanted to hear your band. Nobody. Who would you play to? You play. I, I would play the bass player. I'd play to the, the singer or the guitar player. And you had to, you have to do that again just to get that's off, awesome. you know? That's so weird. That's, yeah. I, it's not weird, but I mean, it's I get it. Uh, it's just so foreign. Because I remember those days, and you know, for me, I I probably just closed my eyes, and I was playing for Madison Square Garden back then when there were eight people. Yeah, but, I, uh, I, it's it's uh, it's a weird turn, man. I, I, I tend to think of it as we're playing music live with a rubber on, you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Two rubbers and a <laughs> It's crazy. It's and a mask. It's yeah. it's yeah. I, um. But I can't help but think, you know, the our business uh, took a pretty he heavy shot as, big, uh, as players, shot. and um, but but even with the whole digital thing that happened, I mean that that railroaded a whole lot of stuff, you know. And for me, it started all the way back when they changed the drinking age from nineteen to twenty one. And it just, it seems like there's always been another challenge and another thing to overcome, but we always do it. We always do it. Always do it. You know, I remember being, when the when the, um, the synthesizer came out, the string sections, they were losing money. When when the drum machine, I remember having a, a, a meeting with um, uh, the guys that own the Long Island Drum Center. Uh, Dennis and, and uh, Jerry. Uh, yes, Dennis and Jerry. And they were saying like, look, we got to do something. They're going to start to put these in a, in the board in the studio. They're going to be a drum machine in there. It's like, what's going to happen? Thank goodness it didn't have a, a feel like a real real drummer, you know. But yeah. um, you, you hear that in hip hop now, a lot of the guys are playing like drum machines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how it all comes around. But I have a I have a great drum machine story for you and. Uh, that is, I heard that we, Roger Lynn was the guy who actually right. invented the thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And he goes, so I guess I'm going to paraphrase, goes to Radio Shack and he hooks up a blue button and a red button in one of those boxes that you can buy with an input and an output. And he makes himself the little machine. Right. And he brings it, I forget where it was, rec record plant and Stevie Wonder's in there. And they said, hey, Stevie, you got to check this out. And they put it in Stevie's hand. Now, I'm... It's a great story, whether it's true or not. I wasn't there, but I was told by somebody who was. They put it in Stevie's hand, and, and he said, what's this? And they said, "Just it's two buttons. Pre he presses the left, left button, and he hears the kick drum. Presses the blue button, and he hears the snare drum. And he goes, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so, you know, I mean, uh, it's drum machines... I, they they tried to threaten me, but they never did. No, uh, you know we we used to. I remember the first time we recorded with Phil Ramon at A and R Studios. Um, Phil would use the click. You know, the, the click was in the board, and then you look. And Phil would use the click only because when we found the right tempo to do a song, he would start the click there, set the click. 
we would speed up during the song and he would pull the click out of our headphones. If, if that wasn't the take now, us drummers, we have a habit of the next take. We would start at the tempo. We ended the last take at because that's where your heart is. That's where right. Your blood is. But Phil would hit the click again. So we would go back to the original tempo. That's the really good feel. But as the song went on again, he would just pull it out if we started to go too fast, but it was a great take. You know, he didn't care if we, if we went off, you know, he loved it. Yeah, well, the only re the only reason these days to use or to cut to a click and stick to it is for all the cutting and pasting that everybody right. does where it all, you know. And believe me, I, um, I've found that very useful um, in constructing things. It's never going to replace, it's like a drum machine, it's never going to replace you and me. First of all, how many girls have you ever seen walking out of a club with a drum machine under their arm? <laughs> That's great. So there's that, uh, and and what you know, I rest my case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, it was, uh, we were we were in there, and when the click, when we first, Phil said, "I'm going to start a click," and I got really scared, you know. And Steve Kahn, the, the guitarist that was on the sessions with us for the Stranger album, he he said to me, he "Goes the click is your friend. Don't worry about it." <laughs> Well, I get that because I yeah. tend to ebb and flow as, uh, you know, right. especially when you're playing progressive music or whatever. And I mean, you're, the music, Billy Joel's music is so dramatic and it's so, um, it's got, it's like movements to it. So how can you, right. how can you lock in a tempo? I, right. you know, that wouldn't, it just wouldn't work. Yeah. But I understand the starting point. Right. I mean, I, I'm reading uh, these George Martin books now, you know, about the Beatles uh, early and, and later on when they were doing Sgt. Pepper. You know, uh, I was shocked. My wife always says, what did you possibly learn by reading another Beatle book that you don't already know about the Beatles? <laughs> well, I didn't I didn't know that um, for Day in the Life, Ringo overdubbed the drums. He didn't he didn't play to the track. I mean, he didn't play along with with the uh, basic track. Back to the the basics. He 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 overdubbed the basic. And George Martin states in the book, he goes, that showed how good Ringo is because he kept with the ups and downs of how John played. You know, he just went along with it, and and the evidence is is in the in the mix, man. You know. Well, the the fact I think, you know, I think what what the Beatles what. I mean, what they did, and you and I, I, I use this reference with my guests all the time. There are people that uh, remember life before the Beatles, which is like black and white TV. Right. And, and you know, then we have, uh, you know, IMAX. Yeah. But um, they were absolutely permission to, you know, I came up, I came up like, I think I'm maybe a year or two younger than you are. So I came up with all the music was blossoming all over the place, but all the doo-wop stuff and all the 50s stuff had gotten as big as it could get. You couldn't yeah, yeah. repackage it anymore. It was all, And when the Beatles happened, it was like, oh, man, put on these glasses and check this out. <laughs> so, it, and, and it didn't even matter, you know, <clears throat> how good or bad anybody was. It wasn't even down to that. It was right. listen to what these guys are doing. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. You know that uh, I just found out that 57 years ago today, 
Meet the Beatles came out in the United States. Wow. 57 years ago today. Let me process yeah. that for a second. Yeah. Do my math. Yeah. Wow. And then go and then go listen to All My Lovin' and tell me that was 57 years ago. Are you kidding me? Wow. But what a, I mean, man, and I can picture it in my mind. And it's, it's uh, and it's funny, I have an unopened copy of that around in my, somewhere, oh. which is, you know, the, all the old vinyl. But, yeah, it was just... I mean, everything, even the way that they did stereo, you know, yeah. when, when that started to happen, it was like magical, just just really cool. And the fact that they opened up all kinds of music, especially Day in the Life. Think of, you know, how's the drum part in that go? Got up, got out, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny, uh, people ask me about, about Ringo, and I always say, you know, there's a saying like... Uh, 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 Ringo, Ringo paved the road for us to do what we do. And I said, no, he didn't pave the road for us. What he did was got into a tractor. He knocked all the trees down. Then he dug the dirt. Then he laid the cement. Then he put the pavement on. Then he made the road for us to travel. You know, that's yeah. what he did. Well, you know, and I, I love, I, I love seeing Ringo. I've seen him, you know, I, I, uh, of course, you know, I played with John Entwistle, and John was right, in right. Ringo's, uh, the band, the all-star band, so I got to see them quite a few times. <clears throat> it's amazing what he's done, and it, it segue to us, because out of all of the Beatles, you would have never maybe guessed that he would have had such a prolific and, I, I'm, I, I'm, Trying, I'm treading on how of ground here, but you would have thought that you know, um, I don't know. I never expected Ringo to keep going on his own, and he's not only right. done that; he's gone above and beyond. It's above and beyond, yeah, yeah. You can only imagine where George would be today if he were alive, you know. And forget about John. Jeez, you know what would he be doing? Yeah. Well, I, I have a, you know, I, it's an interesting thing because we're now we're talking about something. I I don't know. It's not not that it's good that they can't get back together or any of that. Oh no, I know I know what you mean. I know I know what you mean. Yeah. I think that magic. I I think you would not tarnish it, but it would make it more human somehow instead of the intergalactic holy shit. How'd they do that? Do you know what I mean? If they went back in with the technology of today and tried to make a record, I mean. How do you experiment with the most experimental medium there is now? You know, all these samples and everything. Right. Yeah, I get that way with a lot of bands that, that get back together again to play. You know, sometimes you go see them and, you, and you're really disappointed in, in what they sound like and, and their attitude. One band that I loved, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Dino Dinelli from the Rascals. <laughs> he, he, for me, he blew Ringo off the stool. You know, he, he was... He was the guy. Let, let me just stop you there. I'm going to move out of the way. Do you see those I, symbols? I do. Flat? Do you yeah. see it, right? Yes, I do. I don't need to say anything else, right? Yeah. I'm Dino. Okay. I have the same thing, too. Dino. You know, I interviewed him for Modern Drummer uh, vid, uh, video. Oh, wow. And uh, I, I, I told, I asked him about those. Uh, he had white felt uh, the things are underneath his wing nuts. Yeah. 
I said, well, how did you get them? I, uh, were they like pom-poms off of mallets? No. Well, what he did was he took the bass drum beater and cut it in half and used them. Yeah. Yeah. So that was one band. When they got together again and, and Steve Van Zandt put that whole thing together with the Roscoe. Yeah, yeah. People said, are you going to go see the Roscoe's? I said, no, I don't want to. Because I had seen them multiple times in the 60s, you know, and, and they were the band for me. They were it. And I had played with Phyllis Cavalieri a bunch of times and, and stuff like that. And I said, no, I don't want to see the Rascals. Well, finally, somebody said, I got tickets. You can have this one here. Take it. Let's go. So I went. And let me tell you something. I was blown away. They did every song and they did it perfectly. When Eddie sang, How Could I Be Sure? I was tearing up. You know, it was amazing. It was so awesome. I mean, I saw them at the Westchester County Center in White Plains. I must have been 11 or 12. Yeah. And I had never, I mean, it just, for me to have an album with songs on it that were mine, not my brother who was eight years older than me, not my right. mother who was listening to Glenn Miller, which I'm glad I listened to that. Yeah. But this was like my stuff. And you're right, the soul of How Can I Be Sure um, you better run. I'll tell you a funny story. I got a funny, funny story. Uh, I think, and I can't remember the band, <clears throat> but there was one of the Long Island bands that does all the cover stuff. It was right. either um, Wondrous Stories or one of those bands that's out there. And Gene Cornish is sitting in with them, right? <laughs> and, and they do You Better Run. And some guy comes up to him at the bar and says, man, that was really good. Do you do any other Pat Benatar songs? <laughs> he told me the story i was laughing my ass off he's a funny guy that's really funny yeah it's really funny, funny. It, I, he's man he's did you i you're a book reader he's got a book out so do i do you do let's talk about that there it is right there excellent yeah it's uh, called Liberty on top, and the title is Life, Billy, and the Pursuit of Happiness. Wow. And, and believe it or not, Billy Joel wrote the foreword on it. Well, now, you know, I, I tread lightly around the Billy stuff because I really don't know much about, you know, that thing. I always, you yeah. know, I'm a drummer. I beat things with a stick. I don't know. Where's the food? You know. Um, <laughs> where's, the, where's the catering? <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, I mean, look, Kanata's an old friend of mine. Yeah. Um, I know people in in that whole camp. I don't know Billy, but hell, that, that must have been, that must have been a pretty amazing thing to be a part of. Oh, it was an amazing gig. Well, you know, you know as well as I know that when you're in the center of the storm, you're in the eye. You don't even know what's going on around you. Exactly. You know. So we were just in the beginning. You know, I had a band called Topper. It was myself, Russell Javers, Doug Stegmeyer, and uh, Howard Emerson. Right. And uh, that band eventually became the Billy Joel Band, with the inclusion of Richie Kanata. And um, so we we were friends before we were musicians together. So it was just a, we were just a bunch of friends that were making music. We didn't put an album out. Everybody says, "Did you know the Stranger was going to be a smash hit?" No, you don't know that. You know, 
No, I and you know it's it's the same thing. I you know I can relate. I, I certainly wasn't in in a you know the a Billy Joel experience, but um, my band Rat Race Choir was yeah, yeah. Um, you know had its own moment where it it happened and then it you know changed and whatever. And um, you got you guys were a name a name on Long Island that that I always heard. And, and knew about the band. Everybody knew. Yeah, it was a weird... And, and see, that's not... For me, I'm just driving to work. You know what I mean? Right, I don't right. know that because I don't even go in through the front door. It was... It took... It's not that I'm not aware of it. I mean, because obviously, if you're playing at Speaks and there's 2,000 people there, right, you're right. aware of it. But it's not... I can relate. I let me just say that the experience is a very much a parallel universe of coming and being a part of this thing, and then looking back and saying, "Wow, I, you know." Yeah, but it was bands like, bands like your band, Ravish Choir, uh, uh, the Good Rats, uh, Twisted Sister, all that that kind of thing. Those were what other people like myself are listening to. And going like, okay, that was a great idea. We're gonna we're gonna use that idea. You know, these guys are coming up with some really cool shit, and we're gonna use that. You know, yeah. That's, that, you know, and that's what you do in music. You 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 know, great musicians borrow, but uh, you know, other great musicians steal. <laughs> that's, you well, that's you know, Clapton said, musicians are magpies. That's what we do. You know, now <laughs> it's it's called educating yourself. You know, it's you know, and and I I want to go back to the drums. Thing because I, I have to give you some serious props. I especially I, I went back and I looked at a bunch of things just to familiarize myself with what's going on. And of course I I know the tracks right. I mean I know the songs because they're they're the songs. You but, can't get away from them. <laughs> no, no, you can't. But but there's also there's an undeniable groove in there that is absolutely was it the who was the bass player? Um, it was done. Okay. There's a there's just a lock that's there that I don't know if anybody else feels it but another drummer or another bass player. But when I watched you play with um Slim Kings and with uh the Lords, I saw a part of your style that I've never seen before. You have a you you hit hard, but you're graceful. You have a a, a gorgeous touch and to come all the way over to your cross sticking yeah. I just you know it's a, there's a lot of technique there and I wonder you know how many people really get how much of the equation that skill set is well you know you know when I was growing up I mean uh, you know Ringo was my first love <laughs> then then Dino Danelli and of course then I, I saw Carmine apiece and and each one of these guys it, it, Ringo made me want to play the drums. That's what Ringo made me want to play drums and be in a band, not just play rudiments and stuff like that. Just be be in a band. Dino showed me that the drum the drummer can be as much a focus as the lead singer is. Then Carmine showed me how to be focused and power at the same time. And then there was uh, uh, in traffic there was uh, Jim Capaldi, who played. Like really like an R&B kind of player that had a rock touch to him. And all through those times when I was uh, listening to all that music, I was also listening to R&B music. Roger Hawkins, Bernard Purdy, all those people that had that graceful touch. Well, that's your right hand. Your right yeah. hand gives that away every time. You, I can see somebody who has that touch, that 
purdy, graceful float. Right. And, but then what's all you is the power. You know, I mean, and that's why we borrow, you know, we, we, we borrow. And did you always play match grip? Yes, always, always. And you know, it's, it's funny. I, I met uh, uh, Zigaboo, you know, from the meters at, yeah. uh, at um, the NAMM show. And we, I ran into him and I went up to him and said, oh, I'm a big fan of yours. And, and he was funny because it's funny when somebody knows who you are, that you've idolized all these years. Yeah. And he goes, let me tell you something. You have brought playing to another level. So it's kind of got that R&B thing to it, but yet it's got that rock power. Rock power indeed. As I said before, Liberty has shared that rock power with Mick Jones, Carly Simon, Elton John, Rick Wakeman, Meatloaf, the Beach Boys, Karen Carpenter, and of course, Billy Joel. You can hear the entire video call and see it as well on our YouTube channel. This is Steve Longo bidding you a great day from the No Gloom Ballroom. And thanks for joining us here on Rock and Roll Show and Tell. I'll see you out there.